his life and our lives together, and he came back, and um, yeah, he, he wasn't uh, necessarily intending on coming to lead us in worship. He just wanted to come and hang out with us, but um, you know, you can't deny the things that God has given to you, right? If we, you know, if we're gifted in something and we don't do it, then um, that gift rots away. And uh, we realize, we don't realize the fullness of life that God has given to us. And so, um, but he wanted to uh, join with our praise leaders. And so we are so grateful for that. Um, this is um, Labor Day weekend. It's R&R weekend, revival and retreat. We're in the first R here. Um, maybe, no, not maybe, uh, if you can... Every year, just kind of block out this Labor Day weekend as R&R weekend, uh, Memorial Day, yeah, go play, go to the beach, hang out, have your barbecue. Um, Fourth of July, you can do all that stuff, but um, Labor Day, just mark it out on your calendar every year. Sorry, guys, I can't go out of town. I've got R&R weekend. It's like so, uh, such an important weekend in my life and my church. Um, if you do that, that'd be awesome. Um, this weekend is, is very significant for us always, um, but it's always, uh, for me as um, your pastor, it's hard to, to know, man, who would be really awesome to come and, and people might consider to be normal. Uh, we're intergenerational here, so we have young people, we've got um, youth, and we've got adults, and so I always have to be thinking, who would be like really good to connect with our youth here at Harvest, and who would be really good not only to be able to do that and um, but to be able to connect with the adults uh, of Harvest who are at a different life stage as well. And so uh, our guest speaker, Pastor David Kang, um, some of you were here who were here last night um, heard me introduce him. But um, I think he's, he's great on both ends of the spectrum because um, on the, on the uh, older end, he's a father of four children, uh, 10, 8, 5, and 2. Okay? So if you have four children or less, um, he knows what that's like. Right? He understands the challenges and the pressures of uh, raising three boys, right, and uh, one girl and what that's like. And so um, he um, serves in that capacity. He's been doing that for about, I think, eight, eight years or so at Covenant Fellowship Church, uh, which is a predominantly, uh, well, it's a church now. It's got over 100 youth and um, thousands of college students and grad students and working professionals. Um, he's one of the guys on staff there. But before that, he was a youth pastor for many years at Canaan, uh, Canaan Presbyterian Church in Chicago, um, which is where our paths uh, first crossed, uh, Pastor Albert. And, and some of you here who went down the Dominican Republic, uh, 06, 07, 08, 09, during the, that period of time, uh, saw Pastor Dave there um, as well. So uh, he really uh, ministered uh, the Word of God last night deeply to us. And uh, for me, what I uh, appreciate so much um, about him and uh, most of the speakers that we do bring is they don't just minister from the pulpit the Word of God, um, but um, he really wants to get to know the people of our church, to hear their stories. I think he's uh, very gifted in counseling, um, and so he has ministered already in that way to, uh, to several people here. So I'm really excited to have him again uh, share the Word of God with us. Let's give him a big round of applause as he comes to deliver the Word with us. Praise the Lord. Amen. All right. My privilege to be here uh, with your congregation and it has been a huge joy so far. Um, the title for tonight's message is Recapturing Our Emotions. And uh, I think it's going to be relevant for all of us, relevant for the youth, but then also for the non-youth. And so we're going to be looking at Philippians chapter 4 verses 10 to 13. 
Philippians chapter 4, verses 10 to 13. Uh, this is the word of God. It says, I rejoice in the Lord greatly that now at length you have revived your concern for me. You were indeed concerned for me, but you had no opportunity. Not that I'm speaking of being in need, for I've learned in whatever situation I am to be content. I know how to be brought low, and I know how to abound. In any and every circumstance, I have learned the secret of facing plenty and hunger, abundance and need. I can do all things through him who strengthens me. The word of God. Let's pray together. Lord, thank you for your goodness and your grace. Thank you that you are God, but not only God, but also the lover of our soul. You're not a God that just stands on the wayside, that creates us, and just waits and just observes all that happens. But God, um, you intervene in our lives. You give us your word so that we can know how to live. And God, you give us Jesus Christ and the Holy Spirit so that we can live for you. And that is our prayer. As Christ is our cornerstone, we pray that we may be living stones that live for your glory. And may it not only be the physical rocks that cry out your praise, but may we, your living stones, cry out your praise and worship. To you be all the glory and honor. pray in Jesus' name. Amen. So, we're going to talk about emotions today. Um, throughout the years, as I've been meeting with people, I've been getting this question, a um, couple questions. How do I live for God when I don't feel like it? Or, how do I live for God when my heart doesn't feel like it's on fire? Have you ever had that question too? How do I live for God when I don't feel like it? Or how do I live for God when my heart feels dry, when I don't feel like I'm on fire? And these questions have been coming up more often in recent times. I think it's been coming up more recently because there's a difference in generations. Um, I minister to a lot of college students. Well, the older generation generally is not driven by their emotions as much as the younger generation. The older generation... They just did what they had to, regardless of their emotions. They just had to do whatever they had to do to survive. For my father, um, he came to the States in the 1970s, and uh, he left his dream job in Korea, and when he came over to the States, one of his first jobs was to own a wig store. Was that his dream? Absolutely not. But he did it, and then later on, he became a janitor. He just did whatever he had to do to survive. I think I only see my father cry two times in his life. But I think it's not because emotions are not important to him, but because he just had to do what he had to do to survive. Um, back in the day, for channels on TV, there would probably be only five channels on TV that you could choose from. You know, your general stations, and then there was WGN. There was just only a few channels to channels to choose from. But now, with this younger generation, you got DirecTV, you got Netflix, you have cable, and you have a thousand amount of channels to choose from. With all these choices that we have, how do we decide what the best choice is? Um, I think it's through how we feel. Um, 
I talked about my boys a little bit yesterday, but my 10-year-old son, he's a little picky when it comes to eating. And when we go to restaurants, he not only looks for good quality food, but when he sits down in a restaurant, the ambiance has to look good. I, it, it's weird. It's really, really weird. So we went to this one restaurant. I can't remember where it was. I, I can't remember for the life of me. But he sat down, and it looked a little grimy. And he said, Mommy and Daddy, I'm not going to eat here. I cannot eat here. I can't. We're like, why not? And he said, I don't want to touch the table. It just doesn't feel good to me. With the younger generation, we, people make their choices a lot based upon hashtag feels, right? Or when they're in a nice place, what do they do? They take a picture and they put hashtag mood. I don't know what that means, uh, but hashtag feels, hashtag mood. Emotions are important to the younger generation. We call symbols that show our emotions via text, emojis, or emoticons. Or if you're really cool, like me, or if you try to be cool, you have a bitmoji. If people don't use emojis or emoticons in their emails or texts, we may feel like it's very, very cold. It, it's, it's interesting seeing the difference between the younger generation and the older generation. As a church, every single year we do evaluations and we have our leadership and we have our membership write evaluations because we want to know how people feel. One of the evaluations that I got as a pastor, people would say, Pastor David, whenever I meet you in person, you're always so happy, you're always smiling. But in your emails, I don't feel that all the time. Can you put a smiley face in every so often? When you write a text, can you put a smiley face in so every so often? So now, since they want it, I give it to them. Smiley face, smiley face, it's just like crazy. But it's because emotions are important. But although the younger generation may be more influenced by their emotions, this does not preclude the older generation. One of the reasons why people go through quarter-life or mid-life crisis is because what they're doing is no longer exciting. Or what they're doing is not what they expected it to be. So although the older generation may not put hashtag feels, that's what they're feeling. The job is boring or emotionally unfulfilling. So they go through this crisis. The reason why marriages can be challenging is because sometimes the emotions are no longer there. So it's hard. This is a message for all of us because we are an emotional people. This passage will help us to learn about emotions, but most importantly, to recapture our emotions. So we're going to be learning from the Apostle Paul, the one that hated Christ to the utmost when he was an unbeliever. Hated Christ to the point that he wanted to kill Christ to when he became a believer, in this book of Philippians, he says over and over and over again, rejoice in the Lord. There's a huge emotional swing there. But I think his, his emotions were recaptured. So, we're going to look at three questions here tonight. Number one, what do emotions show? Secondly, what should we direct our emotions towards? And lastly, how should we live with our emotions? 
I don't know what type of person you are, the type of learner you are, but uh, I can only share on my behalf. The way that I learn best is to take notes. If, if you want to do that, please do. Maybe you don't have a notebook and paper, but I bet a lot of you have phones. And if you have a phone, you could take notes. If you could write a text to somebody, then you could write a note to yourself. So I'm just sharing that because sometimes for me, that helps me during the message because sometimes I fall asleep. It's not just that my eyes are small, but also sometimes I get sleepy. But also, after the message, it helps me so that if I want to look at it afterwards. But it's up to you. But first point that we're going to look at is what do emotions show? What do they show? Well, emotions, they show what's in your heart. Our emotions indicate if we're getting what we want or if we're getting what we don't want. That's what we get emotional about. We get emotional about the things that we love. Uh Oh, but when you don't get what you love or when you get what you hate, get emotional. You'll see it if you go to Toys R Us. You'll see it with kids, right? When, they, when they're shopping, Mommy, Daddy, thank you so much. But on the flip side, you see kids screaming in the aisles because they're, they're not getting what they want, but they're getting what they don't want, which is nothing. <laughs> Emotions show what you love. Um, and it happens not only to adults, not only to teenagers, but it starts at a very young age. I want to show you a video of these two little babies, these twin babies, and you'll see how they get emotional. Check it out. Even from a young age, right? You get emotional. When you get what you want, you get happy. When you don't get what you want, you get very, very upset. In this passage, we see that emotion in verse 10. This is Paul speaking. He says, I rejoiced greatly. Paul rejoiced greatly because the Philippians renewed their concern for him. He was getting emotional about that. He was so happy. And we'll explain a little bit more in the next point why he got emotional about this. But what we see about this 
is that we see that emotions indicate what you love. So if you want to know what you love, just check what you got emotional about. And that's an easy thing. If you want to know what you love, check what you got emotional about. But use your emotions like a thermometer, but not like a thermostat. You got to listen to that carefully. Use it like a thermometer, but not like a thermostat. See, thermostats, they control the temperature of the room. Are you a little cold? Well, it's because the thermostat is turned low. For some people, their emotions control how they will live. If they get really happy about something, they're like, I'm just going to go with it. If they're really mad or upset about something, they're just going to go with it. Bitter, hey, this is just how I really am. They just go with it. It dictates how they live. They use their feelings to dictate if something's right or wrong. But this is the wrong use of emotions. Rather, we should use our emotions like thermometers. See, a thermometer helps a person to know what's going on inside their body, their internal temperature. You take the, the thermometer, you take the thermometer to check their temperature, because if the temperature is too high, you know it's incorrect. In the same way, use your emotions like a thermometer, because sometimes your emotions are wrong. Just use it to see what you love, to see what's in your heart, because sometimes what you love is not worth loving eternally. It's not worthwhile. So don't use your emotions to determine your emotion, how you're going to move. What should we do? We should direct our emotions towards something else. So what should we direct our emotions towards? Point number two. Well, there's going to be three things that we see here. First of all, we need to evaluate our emotions. What Paul says here, he says, I rejoice in the Lord greatly. That's what he does. But the thing is, truth be told, we don't always rejoice in the Lord. We're not always happy about him. But we always rejoice in whatever we love. That's why we need to evaluate our emotions. This is why we need to direct our emotions. Evaluate your emotions, because in every human heart, there's a sin nature in you. There's a sin nature, okay, the heart, when people, they, they show it, they say, they do this, right? Or if you're really current these days, what you do, say, hey, let's take a picture. <laughs> it doesn't really look cool when I do it, but people do that. But regardless, it's the same thing. And I think it's a good symbol, because that heart the way that it's focused, it's inward. And that's how our hearts are. They're depraved. We're self-centered people. Even the baby that we saw, the babies that we saw, our hearts, we have a sin nature that just says, me, 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 me. And we just can't help it. It's because we have this sin nature in us. So what Pastor Albert was saying, remember who the, who the Lord is. Get, get off the throne of your own heart. But it's hard to because we're so inward focused and it's because of our sin nature. So we're going to get emotional about things that concern us. If someone says, you smell bad, ooh, sometimes you're not going to like that, right? Or back in the 80s, back in the 90s, there used to be, there used to be yo mama jokes, 
your mama so ble-, you know, it was just, and then, you know, no, you don't talk about my mom. You talk about my mom, I'm going to talk about your mom. Oh, you want to, you know, you, you get it going. Because you get emotional about the things that are about you. But for those that are in Christ, for those that are in Christ, you not only have a sin nature, but it says that when you accept Christ, you have the Spirit's nature in you. You have a rival desire. But people falsely think that once you become a Christian, that the sin nature is no longer gone. No, that is wrong. Because the Apostle Paul, in Romans chapter 7, he says, I do what I don't want to do, and I don't do what I want to do. That's not pre-conversion, that's after he became a Christian. He's saying that he has these two rival desires within him. So because of that fact, when you get emotional, you have to check, where is it coming from? Is it coming from my sin nature, or is it coming from my spirit's nature, my love for God? Because I think too many people, they just ride with their emotions. They just go with their emotions. Oh, but you got to check. Is it just coming out of love for yourself? Or is it coming out of love for God? And that's our challenge. Tim Keller, he said this. Every single emotion you have, that was good. Good job, whoever's doing this keynote. Every single emotion you have should be processed in prayer. That's deep. Why is he saying that? Because I think in the same way he's saying you have two rival desires within you. Is it coming out of your love for yourself? Or is it coming out of love for God and love for other people? That's why every single emotion that you have should be processed in prayer. We need to evaluate first and foremost. But secondly, we should aim our emotions towards Christ. That's what Paul is saying as we look at his life. We should aim our emotions towards Christ. Paul says, I rejoiced in the Lord greatly. Now, in the whole context of this passage, Paul rejoiced because the Philippians were becoming more like Christ. They gave him a gift. But Paul didn't care about the gift as they were supporting him. He was more so happy that out of their love for the Lord, that they were supporting him, and therefore they were supporting Christ. He was happy that they were becoming more like Christ. And because of that, he was saying, Yahoo, I am so happy. Because Paul rejoiced in the Lord. So aim your emotions towards Christ. What, are you, what do you get emotional about? Is it only about you? Or does what makes God happy make you happy? When you aim your emotions towards Christ, it's about loving Christ and making much of Christ. That phrase, in the Lord, it's important in this book of Philippians because that's what's happening a lot. It's talking about this, this theological concept called union in Christ. And that's what Paul is thinking about. He's saying, I want to be one with Christ so much. In Philippians chapter 3, verse 8, it says, Indeed, I count everything as lost because of the surpassing worth of knowing Christ Jesus my Lord. For his sake, I have suffered the loss of all things and count them as rubbish in order that I may gain Christ. That's his purpose in life. I want to be in Christ in all that I do. Now check this. 
Paul was in Christ when he became saved. Theologically, that's called justification. He was justified. So an easy way to remember that is when you're justified, when God looks at you, it's just as if I've never sinned. Because God no longer sees your sin when you accept Christ as your Lord and Savior, but instead, he sees the righteousness of Jesus Christ. It's just as if I've never sinned. Because he's justified. So when you're justified, get entrance into heaven. But Paul's not just thinking about that. He's saying, I want to be one with the Lord. Meaning, now when, when, I, now when God sees me, he sees that I'm in Christ. But when he's saying, I want to be in the Lord, he's saying, I want to be sanctified. I want glorification. So this is, because I'm in Christ, I'm justified. But this Sanctification, glorification, is how much of Christ is in you. That's how much he wants to be one with the Lord. And now it's hard because you got your sin nature and you have your spirit's nature. Within this, because we're in Christ, it's all the same. We all have the same amount of justification. But here, are you getting dizzy? (laughs) But here, there's different amounts of sanctification and glorification. And I think that really impacts how much you love the Lord. I think that really impacts how much you treasure Christ in eternity. And for Paul, he wants to treasure Christ. I'm going to give you an example here. This justification, sanctification. One person said it's like this. Everyone that gets invited to a wedding, they're happy. They're happy to be at that wedding. They're happy for that couple. And I think it'll be like that in heaven. But if you were to ask, compare, who's happier? The bridesmaid, right? The maid of honor, groomsman, best man, or a person that just met, the bride and the groom. Who's going to be happier for the bride and the groom when they get married? It's going to be the maid of honor and the best man they have a stronger relationship with them. And so it is. In the same way, whoever has more of Christ within them, when they get to heaven, when they see Jesus Christ, wow. Jesus, you love me that much? And that's what Paul is thinking here. He wants to be in the Lord. So he says this, the next verse, Philippians 1.21. For to me to live is Christ and to die is gain. He's saying, even if I have to die to myself, I don't care. I want more of Christ. He's willing to sacrifice himself because he just wants more of Christ. And we see to the extent of what that is in Philippians chapter 3, verse 10 to 11. I love this passage. I love it. I pray that this become the heart of harvest. This dude wants to know Christ like crazy. He says this, that I may know him. Just stop there. How much do you want to know Christ? What do you want to know of Christ? He says, that I may know him and the power of his resurrection. I think a lot of us, we would like to do that. We would like to know the power of Jesus Christ. But don't stop there, because this is where it gets crazy. That I may know the power of his resurrection and may share in his suffering.
I think for a lot of us, we say, yeah, I want to know Christ, and I want to know, know that power stuff, but that suffering stuff, no thanks. But Paul says, I want to know Christ so much. I want to know his power, but I also want to know his suffering. Why? Because you're only willing to suffer for that which you love. And he wants to know how much God, that Jesus loves the Father and how much he loves people. He wants to be that much in Christ, in him. And I think in the same passage right here, I rejoiced in the Lord greatly. He's saying, I want to aim my emotions towards Christ too. I want to be so in line with Christ. I want to be in so in union with Christ that what God rejoices in, that I rejoice in that. That whatever breaks God's heart, it'll break my heart too. Wow. We get emotional. But I think we need to evaluate. What do you get emotional about? Do you get emotional about the things that God gets emotional about? My prayer over the course of the year has been, I want to love Christ. And I thought through that. If I want to love Christ, then I must learn to love like Christ. I want to feel Christ. And if I want to feel Christ, then I must learn to feel like Christ. So, my prayer has been, help me to rejoice in the things that Christ would rejoice in. Help me to weep over the things that God weeps in. There's a song called Hosanna. There's that line that says, break my heart for what breaks yours. So I remember gathering with some church leaders at my house to plan and evaluate our church ministry. And for some reason, as we were praying, I just lifted up a prayer request. There, what was going on that week was in Nigeria, there was this terrorist group called the Boko Haram. And they were just killing all these innocent children. Hundreds of children. I said, hey, let's pray about this. Let's pray for this. And as we were praying for this, I just began weeping like crazy. Hyper, you know, like when you cry like crazy, you begin to hyperventilate? It was that type of prayer, that type of, of crying. And I think the people that were around me, they're like, whoa, what is going on? And in some sense, I was like, whoa, what is going on here? But I think, I'm not exactly sure, but I think the reason why I was crying like that, even though I didn't know the children, was because I got a peek into how much God loved each and every child. And God's heart was broken over those children. And may what breaks God's heart break our hearts. And may what God rejoices in, may that be what we rejoice in too. Amen? But, listen carefully. Listen very, very carefully. Emotions are not the goal. But Christ is the goal. If emotions are your goal, then very easily it could just become about you. But it's Christ that is the goal. When I was younger, I would gauge my spirituality and how emotional I would get at services when I read the Bible during prayer meetings, so on and so forth. I remember one time at a junior high retreat, 
as I was praying, I was like, God, I just want to love you more. And then I just started crying. And then as I started crying, I felt like all this liquid kind of coming out of my nose. I was like, oh, wow, this is good. And it was just coming out. I was like, it just kept on flowing and flowing and flowing. I'm like, wait, wait a second. This is not good. Just kept on flowing. And then as I was praying, I looked down on the ground. I expected clear liquid, but it was red. And it wasn't like, you know, when Jesus prayed, he started bleeding because he was praying so intense. No, I don't know if I punched myself in the nose or what, but I had a bloody nose. That's how I would gauge my spirituality when I was younger, based upon my emotions. But you don't gauge your spirituality on your emotions completely. You have to make sure that your aim is Christ. Not your emotions, but is Christ. And the reason why is because on this side of heaven, we will not always be emotional about the things for Christ because we have our sin nature. But keep on aiming for Jesus Christ. And I think that's what Paul is saying. Aim for Christ in all things. So, last point here. How should we live with our emotions? How do we do that? How do we live with our emotions? And Paul, he shares his wisdom. Three things. First of all, embrace the learning process. What Paul says in verse 11 is not that I'm speaking of being in need, for I have learned in whatever situation I am to be content. And in verse 12, he says, I have learned the secret Paul talks about contentment here. And he says that it's a learning process to have contentment in Christ. That word contentment means happiness or satisfaction. And Paul is saying that in any situation, whether it's being brought low or bounding, he has learned to be content. Well, I think what Paul is saying here, the reason why he's learned to be content is because he's evaluated the content of his contentment. What's the content of your contentment? If the content of your contentment is Jesus Christ, then even during low times or high times, you can still grow in having more of Christ. Because Christ is with you at all times. He is a cornerstone. But if the content of your contentment is not Christ, it's going to be like a bar of soap that is wet. It's elusive. It's going to slip out of your fingers. It's going to be just dangerous. But keep aiming for Christ. I think that's what this whole passage is about. Paul is saying the content of his contentment is Jesus Christ. And it's been a learning process for him to find contentment in Christ. And I think that's hope for us. Because of your sin nature, you may not always find contentment in Jesus Christ. But don't give up, because you're just learning. So make sure that whatever you go through, you learn. You learn and you yearn so that you can burn for the glory of God. And I think that's what Paul did. You got to keep on learning. Learn in the midst of that. I think for some people, they have a hard time Embracing this learning process. They don't like processes. What they, what they want is just the result. They just want 100% perfection the first time. When I've talked to people, I say, loving Christ, finding your contentment in him, it's a process. They're like, oh, no, I don't like that. 
because they want to be perfect. Well, even though you want to be perfect, God is bigger than your imperfections. And God is bigger than your emotions or lack of emotions for him. So learn so that you can burn. And to learn, it is God's grace. It really is. God is patient with us. And if learning is God's grace, embrace that grace. Embrace the grace to see his face. That's how you run the race. Embrace the grace to see his face. And that's how you run this race with him. It's a learning process. Now what do we do? You continue to obey God regardless of the situation you face. Although it may be challenging, continue to obey God regardless of what happens. Paul says, in any and every circumstance, I've learned the secret. So, sometimes it's hard to follow God when you don't feel like it. Sometimes it's hard to follow God when your emotions are not there. You feel dry for a long period of time. Or for others, when they realize that part of the reason why they're following God is for themselves. Have you ever come to that realization? You see your own heart, that I'm doing this, I'm serving, I'm trying to love people, I'm trying to love God. And in the end, it's just for myself. And sometimes people are like, do I continue to follow God in that way? What do I do? My heart's not completely pure. I think what Paul is saying is in any and every circumstance, still obey God. Whether your heart's in it or not, whether your heart is pure or not, still continue to obey God. So, if you're getting what you want emotionally as you obey God, I'm going to go back to this, sin nature, spirit's nature. If your sin nature is getting fed as you love God, I'll give you an example, okay? Let's say that as you meet with a pastor, and the pastor is listening intently and giving you good advice, you know what's probably happening? Your sin nature is still getting fed because they're meeting you where you're at. Now, what the pastor could do is they could say, you know what? You're stupid. <laughs> I get hesitant about saying stupid because I tell my kids not to say stupid, but you're stupid. <laughs> just go repent. That's it. You know, you just need more of God. What's wrong with you? probably your sin nature will not be happy. You're like, oh, oh. And then what's going to happen here? Well, when your sin nature is getting fed, so like that case of counseling, or when you're singing a song that you like, that you jive with, you like that tune, that beat, you know? It's your sin nature is getting fed. What do you still do? You still love God in the midst of that. I'll give you an example. There was this one worship leader. He talked to me, and he said, Pastor David, I realize that I'm leading worship. Part of the reason is for my own improvement. And part of the reason why I'm leading worship is so that I could get the attention of people. My heart is impure. I think I need to repent for that. I said, that's great. Repent for that. And he said, I need to step down from the worship team. I said, I don't know if you should step down from the worship team. I said, no, I should. His sin nature was getting fed, but in the process, 
He was loving God and serving people and loving people. So what I advise him to do is when you realize that you're doing it for this, right before you do that, you repent of it. Say, God, I'm sorry. And God, even if I'm not getting what I want, help me to still love you. That's what you do. Because through that, you can still serve people and love God and grow in that moment. What this is, it's called redeeming. That's called redemption. Buying back your sin. That motive. But what about the times when you're loving God? You're trying to love God and you just don't feel anything. Have you ever, probably not in this church, but have you ever heard a sermon that you just don't thrive with, you just don't jive with, and that you're just dying? <laughs> what do you do? Or have you ever read a passage, Song of Songs, Leviticus, the genealogies, you're like, oh my goodness, what is going on? Am I supposed, how am I supposed to get blessed from this? And you just feel dry. Well, during prayer time, I just can't pray. What's going on here is probably your sin nature is not getting fed. What do you do? You still love God in that moment. You still do. Because what this is, that's Matthew 16, 24. Jesus says to his disciples, if anyone will follow me, he must deny himself daily, take up his cross, then follow me. And the reason why I say this it's because Paul says in any and every situation, he's learned that Christ is the content of his contentment. And the reason why I say this is because, because I've learned through this process myself, there have been times when I've read the Bible, and it's like, what, is, what am I reading here? But I read it to learn, and my heart's not on fire. And what it is, is just information. But because I've read it, Honestly, years later, years later, that information becomes revelation, and that revelation leads to transformation. Ooh. One person was asking me, how'd you get your call to ministry? And I, said, I gave him a short answer. I said, I was praying about it for a year. I talked to some people, you know, got advice from them, and during a prayer meeting, that's how I got my call to ministry. Well, a little bit longer answer, it's during that prayer meeting, there are two verses that just popped into my head. I didn't have the Bible in front of me. It was Matthew chapter 16 and also John chapter 6. Real shortly, John chapter 6, Jesus, he feeds the 5,000, says he's the bread of life. And he says, you must eat of me. People say, what? We must eat of you? They're thinking cannibalism. That's not cool. Jesus doesn't mean that, but he does mean you must take of me. So John 6, 66, many disciples deserted him. 6, 6, it's not good, right? Many disciples deserted him. Jesus turns to his disciples and says, what are you going to do? Are you going to desert me too? They say in verse 69, 70, you have the words of life. Where else can we go? That passage, as it, it's as if I was in the matrix and, and it, you know, and the whole Bible is in front of me. You have the words of life. Where else can we go? And in my heart, what was burning was I need to preach the word. And then right after that, it's like another, Matthew 16, my wife tells me when I preach, don't make crazy noises. She's not here. Matthew chapter 16, the disciples tell Jesus, some people are calling you Moses, Elijah, another prophet. Jesus says, who do you say I am? Peter says, you're the Christ, son of the living God. Jesus says, very good, you'll no longer be called Simon, but Peter. 
and upon this rock I will build my church. That phrase, I will build my church, was burning in my heart. Once again, I didn't have the Bible in front of me, but it's as if it was, and it was burning in my heart. Now, did that just happen as a freak accident? I don't think so. I think it's because ever since I was in fifth grade, yes, you junior hires, keep on reading your Bible. Ever since I was in fifth grade, I just kept on reading the Bible. I kept on doing my quiet times. And that information became revelation, which leads to transformation. So even though you may not feel on fire in living for the Lord, you still follow the Lord. You still do it. And that happens relationally too. What I found as I minister to people, especially in this generation, is that, and I don't think this is indicative of Harvest Church. I, I, I love what's going on in this church. I feel so welcomed. I, I've talked to Pastor D.L. about this over and over and over again. I feel so welcomed. I loved how you guys just welcome people and are just so outgoing. I love that. But I pray that you continue to do that. But what I found with some of the younger people, not in this church, okay, some younger people, is that because they're used to just getting emotionally fed, they'll only go to people that they get along with. They won't necessarily be inclusive. So if there's people that they don't naturally get along with, they won't, be, they won't try to become friends with that, them. So as I've talked to people, people have asked me, Pastor David, when I meet someone that I don't naturally get along with and I try to love them, I feel fake. So because I don't want to feel fake, because I think it's fake, I'm not going to love them. What's going on in their hearts, their heart evaluation, they're not getting fed sinfully from them. Because they're not getting fed sinfully from them, they're not thinking through this. Can I love God, love people through that time? When there's people that you don't naturally get along with and you still love them, that's not being fake. That's being a Christian. How do I know that? Because Jesus said, not only love your neighbors, but love your enemies. And do you naturally get along with your enemies? Not in your, sinful, not in your sinfulness. But Jesus, he doesn't have us do what's just natural. Oh. But he has us do what's supernatural. Not ordinary, but extraordinary. Because that's our God. That is who he is. So, you learn to embrace this grace in any and every circumstance. The reason why, I think the reason why we may not get emotional or excited about God or loving others is because our pleasures have been hijacked by this world. That's why. Sometimes we don't like the worship music because we like other type of music, which is fine. But we're so used to getting stimulated by sin that our hearts are not stirred by God. We have lost that wonder of who God is. Because we're so used to receiving stimulation, excitement, instead of leading to more purity, what that leads to is callousness. 
That's what happens. Sometimes sinful, worldly pleasures feel better than what God has to offer, but it's short-lived, deceptive, and destructive. So in any and every circumstance, continue to obey God. This world conditions us to seek simulation. The law of diminishing returns teaches us to go for that whichever just gives you the most pleasure. The world conditions us to seek the path of least resistance. The world conditions us to seek the highlight moments and not the work, the blood, sweat, and tears of learning. We like the product of contentment, but we don't like the process. When in any and every circumstance, continue to obey God. See, sin destroys, but God develops. Sin kills our love for God, but God drills into us his love. Sin thrills, but it kills our love for God and others. But living for God may not always thrill, but it drills love for God and others into us. So my mentality is this. If it's the right thing to do, meaning if it's going to help me to love God or love others, if it's a way that I'm going to receive more of the grace of God or give the grace of God to others, then regardless of my emotions, I'm going to do it. Why? Because last point, receive the strength of God. Receive the strength of God. What's the secret of Paul's contentment? I love it. I love how Paul is saying, hey, And he tells it to us. The secret of his contentment is Philippians 4.13. I can do all things through him who strengthens me. That's what it is. The reason why Paul is able to love God, rejoice in the Lord greatly, whether he gets what he wants sinfully, is because through all things he receives the strength of God. That's why he knows that God can strengthen him. And, and how, how does this happen? Because if you're a Christian, check this out. If you're a Christian, you have the Spirit's desire in you. You can be strengthened by God because you have this Spirit of God within you. So now what you have to learn to do is you have to learn to separate the emotion from desire. You may not have the emotion to love God, ooh, but because you have the Spirit within you, you got desire. And whenever there's desire, there's potential for fire. So, what you do is you go with that desire. Now, when my kids, sometimes my kids, they wake me up at 3 o'clock in the morning, and they say, Daddy, Daddy, Daddy. And I'm praying, can they call Mommy, Mommy, Mommy? But they call Daddy, Daddy, Daddy. And my wife, she's sleeping. Do I feel like loving them? Am I happy? Absolutely not. But what do I do? Because my desire is to love them. I don't go with my feelings. I go with faithfulness. And I love them. Don't follow your feelings. But follow your Savior. That's what you do. And you have that desire within you. You can receive the strength of God. So keep on going to God. You have that. If you're, if you're a Christian, you have that desire in you. And he can make you strong, and he's going to help you to continue to be strong. Why am I preaching this message? It 
is because I think this generation, our generation, we're becoming weak. We are. We're not receiving the strength of God. Paul's secret to being strong is to receiving God's grace all the time. Who's the strongest person that I know? I know some guys that are just ripped, yoked. They're just so strong. But who's the strongest person that I know? It's this one 70-year-old grandmother. She's frail and thin, but she is fiery in her love for God and other people. Ooh. She prays all the time. And she is strong because she receives the strength of God all the time. We're weak if we're just driven by our emotions. We're weak when we become self-centered. But you're strong when you become God-centered. So learn to receive his grace all the time. And that is my secret. I make it a point to receive God's grace. I think what Pastor D.L. said before I preached was right on. You need to come to R&R. You do. Why? Well, to be a Christian, you don't have to. But it's just not about getting into heaven. But it's about knowing the Lord. That's what it is. More and more. And so, through this, as you do this, you receive his grace. You see his face. And you can become people that share it with this world. Oh, it is so good. And you become strong. So don't live by your predominant feelings but live by your prevailing desire. Your predominant feeling at that time may not be to love God, love other people, but live by your prevailing desire. When you have desire, there's potential for fire for the Lord. Our illegitimate sinful feelings will eventually fade away. When we get to heaven, all glory to God, when we get to heaven, the only desire and feeling we'll have is to glorify God. So what do you want to grow? Your sin nature, your spirit's nature. Grow your love for God, your understanding of who God is more and more and more. And as you fight this, your sin nature, this grows. See, a Christian is this. A Christian is a person that fights their sin. People falsely think that a Christian is a person that does not sin. Absolutely wrong. But a Christian is a person that is able to fight their sin. And one day, one day, you'll no longer have that sin nature within you. All the glory to God. And because of this, when you see Jesus Christ, you'll fall before his feet, fall before his face, and just love him. Don't be moved only by your feelings, but by your calling to follow Christ. Even though your feelings may deceive you, Christ will never desert you. A couple last things. One of my prayers 
has been, God, make me thick-skinned and soft-hearted. Not thin-skinned and hard-hearted. I want to be thick-skinned so that I can go through any situation and live for the Lord. But I want to be soft-hearted so I can love people and receive the love of God in any and every situation. But too often, us as Christians, we are thin-skinned and hard-hearted. Oh, I pray that we'll be a generation that is thick-skinned and soft-hearted. Those are our people that are strong. There is a war for our souls. There is. We talked about last night. We shoot arrows. But Satan is shooting arrows. And we just don't know it. But God is with us. And he's going to help us. And he is recapturing our emotions. So that we could be recaptured to live for him. I'm going to watch one last video. And then we're done. This video is from the beginning of a movie called Lone Survivor. What this clip shows is real-life Navy SEAL training. Navy SEALs are the Navy's special ops forces of sea, air, and land. So when things get difficult, the Navy sent in their SEALs. When all the people get out, they get in because they're the toughest branch in the Navy. So in order to accomplish these difficult tasks, they go through this extremely difficult training. And you're going to get a peek into what this training is like. Check it out. Six times three. <sighs> hurry up, hurry up, hurry up. Hurry up. Eight. Ring the bell three times, put your helmet on the ground, you're done. Two minutes, you don't make it, you do it again! Have you been tested this hard ever in your life? Never. Winning here is a conscious decision. Make up your mind whether you want to pass or choose to fail. All right now, gentlemen, I'm going to introduce y'all to something called not being able to breathe. Andrew, come back. Come back to the light. Take all this shaking and all this cold, harness it, turn it into aggression. You just prove to your bodies, through your mind, that you can push yourself further than you thought possible. Get wet! Run! 
I met my limit, so that's it. You sure you want to be here? Yes, I do. Are you absolutely sure? I'm positive. that I can depend on, and I would like for them to be able to depend on me. You guys are our band of brothers. Soldiers, they know what they're doing. They're there to save people. And soldiers don't let their emotions dictate their lives. The wrong emotions. They train themselves to live beyond their emotions if their emotions are going to keep them from taking care of the task. Think in many ways. That's what we got to do too. I'm not saying you can't rejoice in the Lord. Rejoice in Him greatly. But sometimes what kills us is that we are rejoicing in other things greatly. And that's killing our desire for Him. We're in a war. Satan wants us to think that it's just peacetime all the time. But there's a war for your soul. And there's a war for souls all over this world. And what God is doing is he wants to make us tougher. To live for him. Life's going to be hard. It's going to be challenging. It's going to be tiring. And sometimes you're not emotionally going to feel like following him. Because other people are going to tell you, don't follow him. But when you're tired, don't ever get tired of doing the right thing. Do your quiet time. Come to church. Receive his grace. And then share his grace in all that you could do. And that's a good life. Let's pray. God wants to recapture us. When I think about what's going on in this world, it is hard, it is scary, because there are so many thrills out there, and so many times people can find God boring, 
But God is not boring. Oh, God is the most thrilling thing ever in this world. But what God is doing, he's teaching us to treasure the treasure. If you were to compare two people in this world, Mother Teresa and a sex addict. Mother Teresa and a person that just lived for themselves. At the end of their lives, who would have found their lives more worthwhile? I think it's Mother Teresa. She didn't have anything, but what she had was Jesus. And she gave Jesus. Paul didn't have much, but he had it all. He had Jesus Christ. And what God wants to do is that he wants to recenter our lives around him. Just pray to the Lord. Say, God, all I want is you. When I get what I want, all I want is you. When I don't get what I want, all I want is you. Because you are what I want. Just pray to him. Talk to him. He's recapturing us. Pray to the Lord until the worship team comes up and until prayer is done. to pray, but uh, I just want to lift up one topic. I think for some of us, we give ourselves over to our sinful pleasures too much, just way too much. Maybe it's looking at things on the internet Maybe it's seeking after relationship. Maybe it's just thinking about ourselves and how we fail over and over and over again. But as you give yourself over to that sinful desire, it doesn't satisfy. It leaves you longing for more. It may satisfy in the moment, but it doesn't lead you to the Lord. 
And although it may be hard to follow God, in that moment, you pray to the Lord in that moment, say, God, help me to follow you. And now, as I'm talking about this, we're not talking about complete separation from that sin because of our sin nature. You may not be completely separated from that sin. You may fall into that addiction later on. But what God cares about is that you just may grow in Him. God loves sinners. He does. And as you follow Him, you don't see the greatness of your sin, but you see the greatness. Man, you see the greatness of His love. That if you could love addicts of themselves, addicts of sin, if He could do that, He is a great and incredible God. Wow, that is our God. So can you do this? Can you just pray at this moment, God, whatever that thing is in your mind, in your heart, that you are just seeking after, that is just pulling at you over and over and over again. I say this with a heart of love. You just pray to the Lord, God, help me to walk away from that. Because God, I want you. I need you to be my satisfaction. I need you to be my thrills. I need more and more of you. Even though I may not feel you, and I may feel more alive when I do these other things, God, help me to go towards you. Can you pray that to the Lord for a little bit? I feel really strongly about this. Pray to God, God. I don't want that other thing, but God, I want you.
can we do this? Can we all stand together? Um, and uh, I don't know if you like doing this, but can you hold hands? Hold hands and I'm just going to pray as a church because we're not just fighting our sins on our own, but we're together. That's what it is. We are together in loving the Lord. This is your church. So just take some time and let's pray. Lord, won't you work in our church? Help us to be fighters against our sin. And help us to not fight each other, but help us to fight for each other. Help us to fight for the Lord. And help us to be in this together to live for you. Okay? Can we just do that just for a little bit? God, won't you strengthen Harvest Church? Strengthen us so that we can rejoice in what you rejoice and that our hearts can break. Oh God, that our hearts can break over the things that break yours. Won't you do that in us and through us for your glory? Pray to the Lord. <clears throat>